0: Though Jack announces that his brother Ernest is dead, what happens when his brother himself appears at Jack's country home? Oscar Wilde, today on the Classic Tales Podcast. Welcome to the Classic Tales Podcast. Thank you for listening. The Classic Tales Podcast is listener-supported. If you've enjoyed the Classic Tales over the years, please consider becoming a supporting member. Making a monthly donation really helps us to create a support flow we can count on. If you can step up with just $5 a month, that really helps us to keep moving forward. Go to classictalesaudiobooks.com and become a monthly supporter. You'll get a monthly code toward any digital audiobook download as a thank you gift. It's a great deal and a great feeling. Thank you so much. And for those of you with the Classic Tales app, check out your special features for more meditations of Marcus Aurelius. Beta testing for the Air app is going well, and there's actually a new update for it, which smooths things along nicely. It's a handy tool to share Oscar Wilde's pithier moments with your friends on social media. Share your air quote with me on my Twitter feed at BJ Harrison Audio, and I might give you a shout out and feature you on the podcast. How many have done it so far? Eh, nobody. So the odds are in your favor. You can find a link to the air app in the show notes for this episode. Also, be sure to check us out on Spotify. They are beginning to feature us here and there, and we appreciate it. Last week, we went to Zion National Park. We're all back now. We're all good to go. Thanks for your patience, and I hope you enjoyed last week's little bonus episode. Okay, so now we are back to episode two of The Importance of Being Earnest. Here's the story so far. Jack Worthing is known as Jack in the country and Ernest in town. He has invented a reprobate brother whom he's given the name of Ernest. His best friend Algernon likewise has an imagined acquaintance named Bunbury, an invalid whom he visits when he wants to escape the tedium of town. Jack is in love with Gwendolyn, Algernon's cousin, but Gwendolyn's mother, Lady Bracknell, is not to be overlooked. After giving Jack the third degree, it is discovered that Jack doesn't know who his parents are, and that he was discovered as an infant in a handbag in a railway station. After recommending that Jack acquire some parents post-haste, Lady Bracknell has left Jack standing dumbfounded, while Algernon plays the piano in the adjoining room, and Jack's head is spinning as he wonders what to do. And now, The Importance of Being Earnest, Part 2 of 4, By Oscar Wilde Jack watched, as all the dust in the room seemed to settle a bit more now that Lady Bracknell had gone. Here comes the bride! Here comes the bride! Algernon sang at the top of his lungs from the other room, playing the wedding march in a brazenly manner. Jack marched into the other room and looked daggers at Algie. "'For goodness' sake, don't play that ghastly tune, Algie! "'How idiotic you are!' he said. Algernon removed his fingers from the smooth keys "'and looked up at Jack. "'Didn't it go off all right, old boy? "'You don't mean to say Gwendolen refused you?' "'He blinked in a knowing way. "'I know it is the way she has. "'She is always refusing people. "'I think it is most ill-natured of her. "'Oh, Gwendolen is as right as a trivet,' said Jack. As far as she is concerned, we are engaged. Her mother is perfectly unbearable. Never met such a gorgon. I don't really know what a gorgon is like, but I am quite sure that Lady Bracknell is one. In any case, she is a monster, without a myth, which is rather unfair. I beg your pardon, Algy. I suppose I shouldn't talk about your own aunt in that way before you. My dear boy, replied Algernon, I love hearing my relations abused. It is the only thing that makes me put up with them at all. Relations are simply a tedious pack of people who haven't got the remotest knowledge of how to live nor the smallest instinct about when to die. Now, that is nonsense, said Jack. It isn't. Well, I won't argue about the matter. You always want to argue about things. That is exactly what things were originally made for, replied Algernon knowingly. Upon my word, said Jack, if I thought that I'd shoot myself. You don't think there is any chance of Gwendolen becoming like her mother in about a hundred and fifty years, do you, Algie? All women become like their mothers, replied Algernon. That is their tragedy. No man does. That's his. Is that clever? It is perfectly phrased, and quite as true as any observation in civilized life should be, replied Algernon. "'I am sick to death of cleverness,' said Jack. "'Everyone is clever nowadays. "'You can't go anywhere without meeting clever people. "'The thing has become an absolute public nuisance. "'I wish to goodness we had a few fools left.' "'We have,' said Algernon. "'I should extremely like to meet them,' said Jack. "'What do they talk about?' "'The fools. "'Oh, about the clever people, of course.' "'What fools!' By the way, did you tell Gwendolyn the truth about your being earnest in town and Jack in the country? Jack stood extra straight again and struck a bit of a pose. My dear fellow, the truth isn't quite the sort of thing one tells to a nice, sweet, refined girl. What extraordinary ideas you have about the way to behave to a woman! The only way to behave to a woman is to make love to her if she is pretty and to someone else if she is plain.
1: "'Oh, that is
0: nonsense,' said Jack. "'What about your brother?' asked Algernon. "'What about the profligate Ernest?' "'Oh, before the end of the week I shall have to get rid of him. "'I'll say he died in Paris of uh, apoplexy. "'Lots of people die of apoplexy quite suddenly, don't they?' "'Yes, but it's hereditary, my dear fellow,' said Algernon. "'It's the sort of thing that runs in families. "'You had much better say a severe chill.' "'You are sure a severe chill isn't hereditary "'or anything of that kind?' asked Jack. "'Of course it isn't.' "'Very well, then.' And "'Jack's eyes brightened. "'My poor brother Ernest is carried off suddenly in Paris "'by a severe chill. "'That gets rid of him. "'But I thought you said that Miss Cardew "'was a little too much interested in your poor brother Ernest?' "'asked Algernon. "'Won't she feel his loss a good deal?' "'Oh, that is all right.' said Jack. Cecily is not a silly romantic girl, I am glad to say. She has got a capital appetite, goes long walks, and pays no attention at all to her lessons. I would rather like to see Cecily, said Algernon. I will take very good care. You never do, said Jack. She is excessively pretty, and she is only just eighteen. Have you told Gwendolen yet that you have an excessively pretty ward who is only just eighteen, asked Algernon? Oh! "'One doesn't blurt these things out to people,' said Jack. "'Cecily and Gwendolen are perfectly certain to be extremely great friends. "'I'll bet you anything you like that half an hour, after they have met, "'they will be calling each other sister.' "'Women only do that when they have called each other a lot of other things first, "'said Algernon wryly. "'Now, my dear boy, if we want to get a good table at Willis's, "'we really must go and dress. "'Do you know it is nearly seven? "'Oh!' said Jack irritably. "'It is always nearly seven. "'Well, I'm hungry. "'I never knew you when you weren't. "'What shall we do after dinner?' asked Algernon. "'Go to a theatre. "'Oh, no! I loathe listening. "'Well, let's go to the club. "'Oh, no! I hate talking. "'Well, we might trot round to the Empire at ten. "'Oh, no! I can't bear looking at things. "'It is so silly.' "'Well, what shall we do?' asked Algernon, exasperated. "'Nothing.' It is awfully hard work doing nothing. However, I don't mind hard work where there is no definite object of any kind. Excessively soft footfalls proclaim the arrival of Lane, who announces the arrival of Miss Fairfax. And Gwendolen zoomed into the room right behind his heels. The wind that blew her in also blew Lane out. Gwendolen, upon my word, said Algernon. Algy, kindly turn your back. "'I have something very particular to say to Mr. Worthing.' "'Really, Gwendolen said Algernon, "'I don't think I can allow this at all. "'Algie, you always adopt a strictly immoral attitude towards life. "'You're not quite old enough to do that.' "'And Algernon sulked over to the fireplace. "'Jack rushed over to Gwendolen and took her hands. "'My own darling!' "'Ernest,' said Gwendolen, "'we may never be married.' From the expression on Mama's face I fear we never shall. Few parents nowadays pay any regard to what their children say to them. The old-fashioned respect for the young is fast dying out. Whatever influence I ever had over Mama, I lost at the age of three. But, although she may prevent us from becoming man and wife, and I may marry someone else and marry often, nothing that she can possibly do can alter my eternal devotion to you. Dear Gwendolen, said Jack. The story of your romantic origin, as related to me by Mama with unpleasing comments, has naturally stirred the deeper fibres of my nature. Your Christian name has an irresistible fascination. The simplicity of your character makes you exquisitely incomprehensible to me. Your town address at the Albany I have. What is your address in the country? Algernon, who had been surreptitiously listening the whole time, Perked up his ears even further at this. Jack leaned in to Gwendolen and half whispered, The Manor House, Woolton, Hertfordshire. Algernon smiled wolfishly and wrote the address on his shirt cuff. He then picked up a railway guide and looked very interested in it. There is a good postal service, I suppose, asked Gwendolen. It may be necessary to do something desperate. That, of course, will require serious consideration. I will communicate with you daily, my own one said Jack. How long do you remain in town till Monday? Good, Algy. You may turn round now, thanks. I've turned round already, said Algy, straightening. You may also ring the bell, said Gwendolen. You will let me see you to your carriage, my own darling asked Jack. certainly, Jack took Gwendolen's hand and mentioned off-handedly to Lane as he left that he would see Miss Fairfax out. Yes, sir, said Lane, who, after bowing and seeing Jack and Gwendolen go off, presented several letters on a salver to Algernon. Upon closer inspection, Algernon noticed they were all bills. After looking at every one of the envelopes, hoping for some good news, Algernon tore them all up and let the pieces fall back upon the salver. A glass of sherry, Lane, he said. Yes, sir. Tomorrow morning, Lane, I'm going Bunburying. Yes, sir. I shall probably not be back till Monday. You can put up my dress clothes, my smoking jacket, and all the Bunbury suits. Yes, sir, said Lane, handing him the sherry. I hope tomorrow will be a fine day, Lane. It never is, sir. Lane, you are a perfect pessimist, said Algernon, looking at his man. I do my best to give satisfaction, sir. Algernon sipped his sherry and looked out the paned window. He saw Gwendolen's carriage pop off and noted the subtle greyness of the clouds. He turned to see Jack coming up on him. "'There's a sensible intellectual girl, the only girl I ever cared for in my life,' said Jack. Algernon gave a sort of moderate chuckle. Then upon second thought it became a more immoderate form of a chuckle. "'What on earth are you so amused at?' "'Oh, I'm a little anxious about poor Bunbury, that is all,' said Algernon. "'If you don't take care,' said Jack, "'your friend Bunbury will get you into a serious scrape one day.' "'I love scrapes,' said Algernon. "'They are the only things that are never serious.' "'Oh, that's nonsense, Algy. You never talk anything but nonsense.' "'Nobody ever does,' replied Algernon, smiling insinuatingly at him. Jack gave him a beastly, indignant glare and left the room. Algernon walked over to the piano, opened the cigarette-case and lit a cigarette, and while reading his shirt-cuff, he smiled. Part Two Across the verdant hills and green gardens of England sat a quiet manor-house. A flight of grey stone steps led to porticoes and archways of magnificent splendour. To the right was a garden, an old-fashioned garden, full of roses. Though there was a bit of overcast in the air, the time of the year was July. There were two lovely basket-chairs next to a table covered with books, and seated in one of the chairs was Miss Prism, who was young, in spirit upon occasion, but right now is not one of those occasions, for Miss Prism is attempting to teach German, in a very didactic manner, to her wide-eyed pupil Cecily, the ward of Jack Worthington, who at the moment was not so much interested in learning German as she was in watering flowers. Miss Prism became suddenly very fussy with her elbows. "'Cecily! "'Cecily!' Surely such a utilitarian occupation as the watering of flowers is rather Moulton's duty than yours, especially at a moment when intellectual pleasures await you. Your German grammar is on the table. Pray open it at page fifteen. We will repeat yesterday's lesson. Cecily wandered around very slowly. But I don't like German. It isn't at all a becoming language. I know perfectly well that I look quite plain after my German lesson. "'Child, you know how anxious your guardian is "'that you should improve yourself in every way. "'He laid particular stress on your German "'as he was leaving for town yesterday. "'Indeed, he always lays stress on your German "'when he is leaving for town.' "'Dear Uncle Jack is so very serious,' said Cecily. "'Sometimes he is so serious that I think he cannot be quite well.' "'Miss Prism drew herself up at this.' "'Your guardian enjoys the best of health, "'and his gravity of demeanour is especially to be commended "'in one so comparatively young as he is. "'I know no one who has a higher sense of duty and responsibility.' "'I suppose that is why he often looks a little bored when we three are together.' "'Cecily, I am surprised at you,' said Miss Prism. "'Mr. Worthing has many troubles in his life.' "'Idle merriment and triviality would be out of place in his conversation. "'You must remember his constant anxiety about that unfortunate young man, his brother.' "'I wish Uncle Jack would allow that unfortunate young man, his brother, "'to come down here sometimes,' Cecily opined. "'We might have a good influence over him, Miss Prism. "'I am sure you certainly would. "'You know German and geology and things of that kind influence a man very much.' And Cecily turned and began to write in her diary. Miss Prism shook her head, her mouth very firm. "'I do not think that even I could produce any effect on a character that, according to his own brother's admission, is irretrievably weak and vacillating. Indeed, I am not sure that I would desire to reclaim him. I am not in favour of this modern mania for turning bad people into good people at a moment's notice.' "'As a man sows, so let him reap.' "'You must put away your diary, Cecily. "'I really don't see why you should keep a diary at all.' "'I keep a diary in order to enter the wonderful secrets of my life,' said Cecily, not looking up from the page. "'If I didn't write them down, I should probably forget all about them. "'Memory, my dear Cecily, is the diary that we all carry about with us.' "'Yes, but it usually chronicles the things that have never happened.' "'and couldn't possibly have happened,' said Cecily. "'I believe that memory is responsible for nearly all the three-volume novels that Moody sends us.' "'Do not speak slightingly of the three-volume novel, Cecily. "'I wrote one myself in earlier days.' "'Did you really, Miss Prism? "'How wonderfully clever you are,' said Cecily. "'I hope it did not end happily. "'I don't like novels that end happily. "'They depress me so much.' "'The good ended happily, and the bad unhappily.' "'That is what fiction means.' "'I suppose so,' said Cecily. "'But it seems very unfair. "'Was your novel ever published? "'Alas, no. "'The manuscript, unfortunately, was abandoned.' "'Cecily reacted rather sharply to that. "'I use the word in the sense of lost or mislaid. "'To your work, child, these speculations are profitless.' "'Cecily, in turning to her book, "'smiled coyly. "'But I see dear Dr. Chasuble "'coming up through the garden. "'Miss Prism stands as if she was sitting on a spring. "'Dr. Chasuble! "'This is indeed a pleasure! "'And Canon Chasuble comes up to greet the two ladies. "'He is an older man with iron-grey hair "'and circular spectacles. "'And how are we this morning? "'Miss Prism, you are, I trust? "'Well?' "'Cecily spoke right up. "'Miss Prism has just been complaining of a slight headache. "'I think it would do her so much good to have a short stroll with you in the park, Dr. Chasuble.' "'Cecily, I have not mentioned anything about a headache.' (laughs) "'No, dear Miss Prism, I know that,' said Cecily. "'But I felt instinctively that you had a headache. "'Indeed, I was thinking about that, and not my German lesson, when the rector came in.' "'I hope, Cecily, that you are not inattentive,' said Dr. Chasuble. "'Oh, I am afraid I am.' "'That is strange,' the good doctor continued. "'Were I fortunate enough to be Miss Prism's pupil, "'I would hang upon her lips.' "'This colourful bit of flattery seemed to fall a bit short. "'Miss Prism simply glared at him. "'I spoke metaphorically. "'My metaphor was drawn from bees. "'Mr. Worthing, I suppose, has not returned from town yet?' "'We do not expect him until Monday afternoon,' said Miss Prism. "'Ah, yes,' said Dr. Chancuble. "'He usually likes to spend his Sunday in London. "'He is not one of those whose sole aim is enjoyment, "'as by all accounts that unfortunate young man his brother seems to be. "'But I must not disturb Egeria and her pupil any longer.' "'Egeria?' said Miss Prism. "'My name is Letitia, Doctor.' "'Dr. Chasuble bowed deeply. "'A classical illusion merely, "'drawn from the pagan authors. "'I shall see you both, no doubt, at Evensong. "'I think, dear doctor, "'I will have a stroll with you,' "'said Miss Prism, stepping forward. "'I find I have a headache after all, "'and a walk might do it good.' "'With pleasure, Miss Prism, with pleasure. We might go as far as the schools and back?' That would be delightful. And as her surroundings came back into focus, she turned to her pupil. Cecily, you will read your political economy in my absence. The chapter on the fall of the rupee you may omit. It is somewhat too sensational. Even these metallic problems have their melodramatic side. And she and Dr. Chasuble went down the garden path toward the school. As soon as they are out of sight, "'Cecily stands and picks up and throws down one book after the other. "'Horrid political economy! Horrid geography! Horrid, horrid German!' "'Merriman the manservant came up with a card on a salver. "'Mr. Ernest Worthing has just driven over from the station. "'He has brought his luggage with him. "'Snapping out of her violent reverie, Cecily snapped up the card and read it. "'Mr. Ernest Worthing, B., for the Albany, W., Uncle Jack's brother. Did you tell him Mr. Worthing was in town?' "'Yes, Miss,' replied Merriman. "'He seemed very much disappointed. I mentioned that you and Miss Prism were in the garden. He said he was anxious to speak to you privately for a moment.' "'Ask Mr. Ernest Worthing to come here,' said Cecily. "'I suppose you had better talk to the housekeeper about a room for him.' "'Yes, Miss.' and Merriman pottered off. Cecily's head was spinning. "'I have never met any really wicked person before. I feel rather frightened. I'm so afraid he will look just like everyone else. And as she looked, she saw Algernon, very gay and debonair, as he walked up to her in his usual breezy way. He does!' Algernon raised his hat. "'You are my little cousin Cecily, I'm sure,' "'You are under some strange mistake,' said Cecily. "'I am not little. "'In fact, I believe I am more than usually tall for my age.' Algernon took a step back, and Cecily continued. "'But I am your cousin, Cecily. "'You, I see from your card, are Uncle Jack's brother, "'my cousin Ernest, my wicked cousin Ernest. "'Oh, I am not really wicked at all, cousin Cecily,' said Algernon. "'You mustn't think that I am wicked.' If you are not, then you have certainly been deceiving us all in a very inexcusable manner. I hope you have not been leading a double life, pretending to be wicked, and being really good all the time. That would be hypocrisy. Algernon looked at her in amazement. Of course, I have been rather reckless. I am glad to hear it. In fact, now you mention the subject, I have been very bad in my own small way, said Algernon. "'I don't think you should be so proud of that, "'though I am sure it must have been very pleasant. "'It is much pleasanter being here with you.' "'I can't understand how you are here at all. "'Uncle Jack won't be back till Monday afternoon,' said Cecily. "'That is a great disappointment. "'I am obliged to go up by the first train on Monday morning. "'I have a business appointment that I am anxious to miss.' "'Couldn't you miss it anywhere but in London?' "'No, the appointment is in London.' "'Well, I know, of course, how important it is "'not to keep a business engagement, "'if one wants to retain any sense of the beauty of life. "'But still, I think you had better wait "'until Uncle Jack arrives. "'I know he wants to speak to you about your emigrating.' "'About my what?' "'Your emigrating,' said Cecily. "'He has gone up to buy your outfit.' "'I certainly wouldn't let Jack buy my outfit. "'He has no taste in neckties at all,' said Algernon. "'I don't think you will require neckties.' "'Uncle Jack is sending you to Australia.' "'Australia? I'd sooner die.' "'Well, he said at dinner on Wednesday night "'that you would have to choose between this world, the next, and Australia.' "'Oh, well,' said Algernon. "'The accounts I have received of Australia and the next world "'are not particularly encouraging. "'This world is good enough for me, Cousin Cecily.' "'Yes, but are you good enough for it?' "'I am afraid I am not that. "'That is why I want you to reform me.' "'You might make that your mission, if you don't mind, Cousin Cecily. "'I'm afraid I've no time this afternoon. "'Well, would you mind my reforming myself this afternoon? "'It is rather quixotic of you, but I think you should try.' "'I will,' said Algernon. "'I feel better already.' "'You are looking a little worse. "'That is because I am hungry.' "'How thoughtless of me!' said Cecily. "'I should have remembered that when one is going to lead an entirely new life—' "'One requires regular and wholesome meals. "'Won't you come in?' "'Thank you,' said Algernon. "'Might I have a buttonhole first? "'I never have any appetite unless I have a buttonhole first. "'A Marichal Niel?' Cecily asked as she picked up the scissors "'and moved toward the climbing yellow roses. "'No, I'd sooner have a pink rose,' said Algernon. "'Why?' said Cecily, moving to the pink roses and cutting one of them. "'Because you are like a pink rose, Cousin Cecily.' I don't think it can be right for you to talk to me like that. Miss Prism never says such things to me. That Miss Prism is a short-sighted old lady. And Cecily put the rose into his buttonhole. You are the prettiest girl I ever saw. Miss Prism says that all good looks are a snare. They are a snare that every sensible man would like to be caught in. Oh, I don't think I would care to catch a sensible man. I should know what to talk to him about.' They walked up the stone steps together into the house. Miss Prism and Dr. Chasuble returned. You are too much alone, dear Dr. Chasuble. You should get married. A misanthrope, I can understand. A womanthrope, never. Dr. Chasuble responded with a scholarly shudder. Believe me, I do not deserve so neologistic a phrase. "'The precept, as well as the practice of the primitive church, "'was distinctly against matrimony.' "'Miss Prism replied sententiously, "'That is obviously the reason why the primitive church "'has not lasted up to the present day. "'And you do not seem to realise, dear doctor, "'that by persistently remaining single, "'a man converts himself into a permanent public temptation. "'Men should be more careful.' "'this very celibacy leads weaker vessels astray. "'But is a man not equally attractive when married? "'No married man is ever attractive except to his wife. "'And often, I have been told, not even to her. "'That depends on the intellectual sympathies of the woman. "'Maturity can always be depended on. "'Ripeness can be trusted. "'Young women are green. "'Dr. Chasuble started at that.' I spoke horticulturally. My metaphor was drawn from fruits. <laughs> but where is Cecily? Perhaps she followed us to the schools. Suddenly Jack Worthing appeared, coming up from the garden. He is dressed in the deepest mourning, with black crape hat-band and black gloves, and a black cloud furrowing his brow. Mr. Worthing, said Miss Prism. Mr. Worthing, said Dr. Chagible. "'This is indeed a surprise. "'We did not look for you till Monday afternoon.' "'Jack shook Miss Prism's hand in a very tragic manner. "'I have returned sooner than I expected. "'Dr. Chargible, I hope you are well. "'Dear Mr. Worthing, I trust this garb of woe "'does not betoken some terrible calamity?' "'My brother.' "'Miss Prism wrinkled her brow. "'More shameful debts and extravagance?' "'Still leading his life of pleasure,' said Dr. Chasuble. "'Jack shook his head and looked them in the eye. "'Dead!' "'Your brother Ernest dead?' "'Quite dead,' Miss Prism gasped. "'What a lesson for him! "'I trust he will profit by it.' "'Mr. Worthing,' said Dr. Chasuble, "'I offer you my sincere condolence.' "'you have at least the consolation of knowing "'that you are always the most generous and forgiving of brothers.' "'Poor Ernest,' said Jack. "'He had many faults, but it is a sad, sad blow. "'Very sad indeed. "'Were you with him at the end?' "'No,' said Jack. "'He died abroad. "'In Paris, in fact. "'I had a telegram last night from the manager of the Grand Hotel.' "'Was the cause of death mentioned?' asked Dr. Chasuble. "'A severe chill, it seems. "'Miss Prism gasped again. "'As a man sows, so shall he reap.' "'Dr. Chasuble raised his hand. "'Charity, dear Miss Prism, charity. "'None of us are perfect. "'I myself am particularly susceptible to draughts. "'Will the internment take place here?' "'No,' said Jack. He seems to have expressed a desire to be buried in Paris. In Paris, said Dr. Chasuble, shaking his head. I fear that hardly points to any very serious state of mind at the last. You would no doubt wish me to make some slight allusion to this tragic domestic affliction next Sunday. Jack pressed his hand convulsively. Dr. Chasuble continued my sermon on the meaning of the manna in the wilderness can be adapted to almost any occasion, joyful, or, as in the present case, distressing. They all sigh together and stare. I have preached it at harvest celebrations, christenings, confirmations, on days of humiliation and festal days. The last time I delivered it was in the cathedral, as a charity sermon on behalf of the Society for the Prevention of Discontent among the upper orders. The bishop, who was present, was much struck by some of the analogies I drew. Ah, that reminds me. You mentioned christenings, I think, Dr. Chasuble, I suppose you know how to christen all right. Dr. Chasuble looked astounded. I mean, of course, you are continually christening, aren't you? It is, I regret to say— "'one of the rector's most constant duties in this parish,' said Miss Prism. "'I have often spoken to the poorer classes on the subject, "'but they don't seem to know what thrift is.' "'But is there any particular infant in whom you are interested, Mr. Worthing?' "'said Dr. Chasheble. "'Your brother was, I believe, unmarried, was he not?' "'Oh, yes,' Miss Prism smirked. "'People who live entirely for pleasure usually are.' "'But it is not for any child, dear Doctor. "'I am very fond of children. "'No, the fact is I would like to be christened myself "'this afternoon, if you have nothing better to do,' said Jack. "'But surely, Mr. Worthing, you have been christened already. "'I don't remember anything about it.' "'But have you any grave doubts on the subject?' asked Dr. Chashable. "'I certainly intend to have,' said Jack. "'Of course I don't know if the thing would bother you in any way.' "'Or if you think I am a little too old now?' "'Not at all. The sprinkling, and indeed the immersion of adults, "'is a perfectly canonical practice.' "'Immersion?' "'You need have no apprehensions,' said Dr. Chasuble. "'Sprinkling is all that is necessary, "'or indeed I think advisable. "'Our weather is so changeable. "'At what hour would you wish the ceremony performed?' "'Oh, I might trot round about five, if that would suit you. "'Perfectly.' "'Perfectly,' replied the good doctor. "'In fact, I have two similar ceremonies to perform at that time, "'a case of twins that occurred recently "'in one of the outlying cottages on your own estate. "'Poor Jenkins the Carter, a most hard-working man.' "'Oh, I don't see much fun in being christened along with other babies. "'It would be childish. "'It would half-past five, do? "'Admirably, admirably,' replied Dr. Chargeable, taking out his watch. "'And now, dear Mr. Worthing, I will not intrude any longer into a house of sorrow. "'I would merely beg you not to be too much bowed down by grief. "'What seems to us bitter trials are often blessings in disguise.' "'Miss Prism smirked again. "'This seems to me a blessing of an extremely obvious kind.' "'Suddenly Cecily bounced up, thrilled to see her uncle. "'Uncle Jack!' "'Oh, I am so pleased to see you back. "'But what horrid clothes you have got on! "'Do go and change them. "'Cecily! "'My child, my child!' "'Cecily went forward and kissed Jack on the cheek, in greeting. "'Jack took a step back and kissed her brow in a very melancholy manner. "'What is the matter, Uncle Jack?' said Cecily. "'Do look happy. "'You look as if you had toothache, and I have got such a surprise for you. "'Who do you think is in the dining-room? "'Your brother!' "'Who?' "'Your brother Ernest. "'He arrived half an hour ago. "'What nonsense! "'I haven't—' "'I haven't got a brother.' "'Oh, don't say that. "'However badly he may have behaved to you in the past, "'he is still your brother,' said Cecily. "'You couldn't be so heartless as to disown him. "'I'll tell him to come out, "'and you will shake hands with him, won't you, Uncle Jack?' "'And she bounced back into the house. "'These are very joyful tidings.' Said Dr. Chasuble. After we had been resigned to his loss, his sudden return seems to me peculiarly distressing, said Miss Prism. My brother is in the dining room. I don't know what it all means. I think it is perfectly absurd. Cecily bounced back out with Algernon in tow, hand in hand. But upon seeing the grim visage of Jack, the bounce lost a bit of its bounce. Good heavens, said Jack throwing up his hands and turning away as he saw Algernon. Algernon approached and simpered out, "'Brother John, I have come down from town to tell you "'that I am very sorry for all the trouble I have given you "'and that I intend to lead a better life in the future.' "'Jack glared at him and did not take his proffered hand. "'Uncle Jack,' said Cecily, "'you are not going to refuse your own brother's hand.' "'Nothing will induce me to take his hand,' said Jack. "'I think he's coming down here disgraceful. "'He knows perfectly well why.' "'Uncle Jack, do be nice,' said Cecily. "'There is some good in every one. "'Ernest has just been telling me about his poor invalid friend, Mr. Bunbury, "'whom he goes to visit so often, "'and surely there must be much good in one who is kind to an invalid "'and leaves the pleasures of London to sit by a bed of pain.' "'Oh, he has been talking about Bunbury, has he?' Yes, he has told me all about poor Mr. Bunbury and his terrible state of health. Bunbury, said Jack derisively. Well, I won't have him talk to you about Bunbury or about anything else. It is enough to drive one perfectly frantic. Of course, I admit that the faults were all on my side, said Algernon, but I must say that I think that Brother John's coldness to me is peculiarly painful. I expected a more enthusiastic welcome. "'especially considering it is the first time I have come here.' "'Uncle Jack,' said Cecily, "'if you don't shake hands with Ernest, I will never forgive you. "'Never forgive me. Never, never, never. "'Well, this is the last time I shall ever do it.' "'And the glaring blue murder at Algernon, he shook his hand. "'Dr. Chasuble smiled. "'It's pleasant, is it not, to see so perfect a reconciliation?' I think we might leave the two brothers together. Cecily, you will come with us. Certainly, Miss Prism, said Cecily. My little task of reconciliation is over. You have done a beautiful action today, dear child, said Dr. Chargible. We must not be premature in our judgments. I feel so very happy, said Cecily. And all three went off together. Once they had gone, Jack rounded upon Algernon. You young scoundrel, Algie! You must get out of this place as soon as possible! I don't allow any bunburying here! Just then Merriman the footman walked in, and said to Jack, I have put Mr. Ernest's things in the room next to yours, sir. I suppose that is all right. What? Mr. Ernest's luggage, sir. I have unpacked it and put it in the room next to your own. His luggage? Yes, sir. Three portmanteaus, a dressing case. Two hat-boxes, and a large luncheon-basket. "'I'm afraid I can't stay more than a week this time,' said Algernon. Merriman, order the dog-cart at once,' said Jack. "'Mr. Ernest has been suddenly called back to town.' "'Yes, sir,' said Merriman, and he went back into the house. "'What a fearful liar you are, Jack,' said Algernon. "'I have not been called back to town at all.' "'Yes, you have. I haven't heard anyone call me.' "'Your duty as a gentleman calls you back.' "'My duty as a gentleman has never interfered with my pleasures in the smallest degree,' said Algernon. "'I can quite understand that.' "'Well, Cecily is a darling.' "'You are not to talk of Miss Cardew like that. I don't like it.' "'Well, I don't like your clothes. You look perfectly ridiculous in them. Why on earth don't you go up and change?' It is perfectly childish to be in deep mourning for a man who is actually staying for a whole week with you in your house as a guest. I call it grotesque. You are certainly not staying with me for a whole week as a guest or anything else. You have got to leave by the 4-5 train. I certainly won't leave you so long as you are in mourning. It would be most unfriendly. If I were in mourning, you would stay with me, I suppose. I should think it very unkind if you didn't. "'Well, will you go if I change my clothes?' "'Yes, if you are not too long. I never saw anybody take so long to dress, and with such little result.' "'Well, at any rate, it is better than being always overdressed as you are. "'If I am occasionally a little overdressed, I make up for it by being always immensely over-educated.' "'Your vanity is ridiculous,' said Jack. "'Your conduct and outrage and your presence in my garden utterly absurd. "'However—' "'You have got to catch the four-five, "'and I hope you will have a pleasant journey back to town. "'This bun as you call it, "'has not been a great success for you!' "'And Jack turned and went into the house. "'I think it has been a great success. "'I'm in love with Cecily, and that is everything,' "'said Algernon, picking up an errant feather from a pillow "'and blowing it. "'And he walked outside and around to the back of the house.' He saw Cecily, and decides that he must see her before he goes, and make arrangements for another Bunbury session. Cecily smiled as he came up to her. Oh, I merely came back to water the roses. I thought you were with Uncle Jack. He's gone to order the dog-cart for me, said Algernon. Oh, is he going to take you for a nice drive? said Cecily. He's going to send me away. Then have we got to part? I am afraid so. It is a very painful parting. It is always painful to part from people whom one has known for a very brief space of time. The absence of old friends one can endure with equanimity, but even a momentary separation from any one to whom one has just been introduced is almost unbearable. Thank you. Merriman appeared and approached Algernon. The dog-cart is at the door, sir. Algernon looked appealingly at Cecily. It can wait, Merriman, for five minutes. "'Yes, miss.' "'Merriman went to deliver the news. "'I hope, Cecily,' said Algernon, "'I shall not offend you if I state quite frankly and openly "'that you seem to me to be in every way "'the visible personification of absolute perfection. "'I think your frankness does you great credit, Ernest. "'If you will allow me, I will copy your remarks into my diary.' "'And very primly she went over to the table "'and began writing in her diary.' "'Do you really keep a diary?' said Algernon. "'I'd give anything to look at it. May I?' "'Oh, no!' She put her hand over what she was writing. "'You see, it is simply a very young girl's record "'of her own thoughts and impressions, "'and consequently meant for publication. "'When it appears in volume form, I hope you will order a copy. "'But, pray, Ernest, don't stop. "'I delight in taking down from dictation. "'I have reached absolute perfection. "'You can go on. I am quite ready for more.' Algernon was somewhat taken aback at this. Oh, don't cough, Ernest. When one is dictating, one should speak fluently and not cough. Besides, I don't know how to spell a cough. She waited apprehensively for more honeyed words. Cecily, ever since I first looked upon your wonderful and incomparable beauty, I have dared to love you wildly, passionately, devotedly, hopelessly. "'I don't think that you should tell me "'that you love me wildly, passionately, "'devotedly, hopelessly. "'Hopelessly doesn't seem to make much sense, does it?' "'Cecily.' "'Merriman entered again. "'The dog-cart is waiting, sir. "'Tell it to come round next week at the same hour.' "'Merriman took this information in, "'then looked at Cecily with a blank face. "'Cecily, unfortunately, made no sign. "'Yes, sir.' "'And he left again.' "'Uncle Jack would be very much annoyed "'if he knew you were staying on till next week at the same hour.' "'Oh, I don't care about Jack,' said Algernon. "'I don't care for anybody in the whole world but you. "'I love you, Cecily. "'You will marry me, won't you?' "'You silly boy, of course. "'Why, we have been engaged for the last three months.' "'For for the last three months?' "'Yes. "'It will be exactly three months on Thursday.' "'But how did we become engaged?' "'Well.' Ever since dear Uncle Jack first confessed to us that he had a younger brother who was very wicked and bad, you, of course, have formed the chief topic of conversation between myself and Miss Prism. And, of course, a man who is much talked about is always very attractive. One feels there must be something in him, after all. I dare say it was foolish of me, but I fell in love with you, Ernest. Darling, said Algernon, and when was the engagement actually settled?' "'On the fourteenth of February last,' said Cecily, "'worn out by your entire ignorance of my existence, "'I determined to end the matter one way or the other, "'and after a long struggle with myself, "'I accepted you under this dear old tree here. "'The next day I bought this little ring in your name, "'and this is the little bangle with the true lover's knot "'I promised you always to wear.' "'Did I give you this?' said Algernon. "'It's very pretty, isn't it? "'Yes, you've wonderfully good taste, Ernest.' "'It's the excuse I've always given for your leading such a bad life. "'And this is the box in which I keep all your dear letters.' "'And she knelt at the table, opened the carved box with the lid, "'and produced letters tied up with blue ribbon. "'My letters,' said Algernon, "'but my own sweet Cecily. "'I've never written you any letters. "'You need hardly remind me of that, Ernest,' said Cecily. "'I remember only too well that I was forced to write your letters for you.' I wrote always three times a week and sometimes oftener. Oh, do let me read them, Cecily. Oh, I couldn't possibly. They would make you far too conceited. She replaced them in the box. The three you wrote me after I had broken off the engagement are so beautiful and so badly spelled that even now I can hardly read them without crying a little. But was our engagement ever broken off? Of course it was. On the 22nd of last March. You can see the entry if you like she showed him the diary, and read aloud. "'Today I broke off my engagement with Ernest. I feel it is better to do so. The weather still continues charming.' "'But why on earth did you break it off?' asked Algernon. "'What had I done? I had done nothing at all. Cecily, I am very much hurt indeed to hear you broke it off, particularly when the weather was so charming. It would hardly have been a really serious engagement if it hadn't been broken off at least once. But—' I forgave you before the week was out. Algernon knelt beside her. What a perfect angel you are, Cecily. You dear romantic boy. He kissed her, and she put her fingers through his hair. I hope your hair curls naturally, does it? Yes, darling, with a little help from others. I am so glad. You'll never break off our engagement again, Cecily. I don't think I could break it off now that I have actually met you. "'Besides, of course, there is the question of your name.' "'Yes, of course.' And suddenly all the pistons in his brain started firing rapidly. "'You must not laugh at me, darling, "'but it had always been a girlish dream of mine "'to love someone whose name was Ernest.' Algernon stood. Cecily stood with him. "'There is something in that name that seems to inspire absolute confidence.' "'I pity any poor married woman whose husband is not called Ernest. "'But, my dear child, do you mean to say that you could not love me "'if I had some other name?' asked Algernon. "'But what name?' "'Oh, any name you like. Algernon, for instance.' "'But I don't like the name of Algernon. "'Well, my own dear, sweet, loving little darling, "'I really can't say why you should object to the name of Algernon. "'It is not at all a bad name. "'In fact, it is rather an aristocratic name.' Half of the chaps who get into the bankruptcy court are called Algernon, but seriously, Cecily, and he moved in closer to her. If my name was Algie, couldn't you love me? Cecily stood and perambulated around a bit, thinking. I might respect you, Ernest, I might admire your character, but I fear that I should not be able to give you my undivided attention. (coughs) Cecily, Algernon said, picking up his hat, "'Your rector here is, I suppose, thoroughly experienced "'in the practice of all the rites and ceremonials of the church.' "'Oh, yes. Dr. Chargible is a most learned man. "'He has never written a single book, "'so you can imagine how much he knows.' "'I must see him at once on a most important christening. "'I mean, on most important business.' "'Oh! I shan't be away more than half an hour. "'Considering that we have been engaged since February the 14th, "'and that I only met you today for the first time,' I think it rather hard that you should leave me for so long a period as half an hour. Couldn't you make it twenty minutes? I'll be back in no time. He kissed her and rushed down toward the garden. What an impetuous boy he is, said Cecily, watching him leave. I like his hair so much, I must enter his proposal in my diary. Merriman approached and announced, A Miss Fairfax has just called to see Mr. Worthing— "'On very important business,' Miss Fairfax states. "'Isn't Mr. Worthing in his library?' "'Mr. Worthing went over in the direction of the rectory some time ago,' said Merriman. "'Pray ask the lady to come out here. "'Mr. Worthing is sure to be back soon, and you can bring tea.' "'Yes, Miss.' "'Miss Fairfax,' said Cecily, as she watched Merriman leave. "'I suppose one of the many good elderly women,' "'who are associated with Uncle Jack in some of his philanthropic work in London. "'I don't quite like women "'who are interested in philanthropic work. "'I think it is so forward of them.' "'Merriman returned and announced Miss Fairfax, "'and Cecily saw standing next to Merriman "'a woman of the world, perhaps twenty years of age, "'with a fashionable luster in her eye. "'Cecily advanced to meet her. "'Pray, let me introduce myself to you. "'My name is Cecily Cardew.' This is B.J. Harrison. I hope you have enjoyed this unabridged production of The Importance of Being Earnest, Part 2 of 4, by Oscar Wilde. If you have enjoyed this book, please become a supporting member of The Classic Tales at classictalesaudiobooks.com. You'll find many ways of supporting us, starting at only $5 a month. Each donation comes with a monthly thank you code for expanding your classic audiobook library. Be sure to rate and review us on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Every little bit helps. Thank you for joining me today and allowing classic literature to awaken your better self. Please join me every week and we'll rediscover the greatest stories ever put to paper.